MDN TV, the podcast. Be abreast with now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcasts. The undeniable choice. It's sundown. The day has just begun. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Yes. Ha ha! This is MDN Shows running with the times. Look, MDN Shows has pitched his tent away from traditional grounds just to reach you only on MDN TV, the podcast. And I am Major Daughter. Welcome, 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 everybody. Look, today we are excited because we've got some a very interesting show for you something very very interesting but before i go there meet us in the comments we are live in the comments engage engage because my guest is not just any other guest we are talking bitcoin but not just bitcoin bitcoin evangelism so my guest is a bitcoin evangelist and i just can't wait to glean on what is there Mm, they said there's so much darkness in the tunnel and some are asking whether there'll ever be light at the end of the tunnel no i want to say to those who are listening now tell everybody to tell their friends and their friends to tell their friends to jump in because inside a dark tunnel we're not waiting for light at the end we light up that tunnel right after this MDN TV, the podcast. Be abreast with now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcasts. The undeniable choice. The undeniable choice, indeed. Today is Brian DeMint. Oh, this is Bitcoin Evangelist. He's a Bitcoin Evangelist. But as you know, it's our culture to allow our guests to introduce themselves. And I'm just going to do that. Brian, thanks a gazillion times for saying yes, for giving us your time. Right? The mic swings to you now. Well, it's my pleasure, and that might have been the greatest intro of all time. My energy level—you uh, <laughs> got me up to ten. You got me up to ten right now, so I'm excited, and I'm not, not only excited to talk to Bitcoin, uh, about Bitcoin, but I'm excited to talk to your audience about it. Um, a little bit about me—I'll try to give you the, the short, the short version of it. Yes. But I've been in the Bitcoin blockchain space for about ten years. Um, first, as a skeptic, I was very skeptical about it. And I tell people all the time: if you're skeptical of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that means you have a brain. <laughs> you're very intelligent if you're skeptical of these things because they should they should sound crazy. We should we that that's the sign of of wisdom is if we can hear about new things and then look at them through a skeptical lens. And hopefully over time, as the merits of these technologies are presented to us, we can say, okay, wow, that is a technology that is worthwhile, or maybe that's a technology that, that isn't worth its salt. But this is what everybody has backwards. Everybody treats Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies like they're an investment first 
and a technology later. It's so, so important to look at it as a technology first, because if it does matter as a technology, and I'm going to try and make the case today that it is, it does matter as a technology. If it does matter as a technology, then maybe it's worth the investment, but we gotta, we gotta make sure we don't get the cart before the horse. And so that's what my last 10 years has been focused on. I've worked in the Bitcoin and blockchain industry um, in a professional capacity. I worked as a the chief marketing officer for a, a project called Athenium blockchain for three years. And what I realized when we were, we were pitching our project to people is I was going in and I was talking to investors all over the, the country in the United States here. And they didn't understand the basics of Bitcoin and blockchain. So they were talking about writing million checks for millions and millions of dollars to invest in these new projects. And they didn't even understand what, what these projects were. They just wanted to be associated with it because it was, it was, there was a lot of hype around it. There was a lot of excitement around it, but they didn't understand it. And so after I did that for a few years, I said, you know what, I need to take a step back and I need to help educate the public on what this stuff is and why it matters. Because if it does matter, if it's gonna change the paradigm of the way the world works, I wanna help people understand that so that they could be at the forefront of it. And so that's why, that's why late last year, I stepped away from uh, my marketing role and I, I just focused 100% on writing this book. It's called Bitcoin Evangelism. And it's, uh, it's the full and complete case for why Bitcoin, blockchain, and uh, these decentralized cryptocurrencies, why they matter. Um, not all of them matter. There's plenty of them out there that don't. Um, and so that we can get into that as well. Um, but uh, this is a paradigm shifting type of thing. Think back to the internet. Before the internet became a big deal, the, the world looked completely different. The way you transact, the way we did things on a day-to-day -day basis, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now if it weren't for the internet. That just wouldn't have been able to happen. Technology made it so that our world operates different than it did in 1991 or 1981 or 1971. The world operates completely differently. I'm here to say that the, the transfer of value over the internet is actually going to make a bigger shift in the way the world operates than the transfer of information. That's what the internet was. It was the transfer of information. Now we're talking about the transfer of value. That's an even bigger deal. And so that's why people need to pay attention to this. You are an evangelist of Bitcoin to the core. No doubt about that. Now, let's educate us. Let's start from the top. What is Bitcoin? Someone is listening and... We, we always hear about Bitcoin here and there, you know, but what is it really, Brian? Well, the easiest way to understand what Bitcoin or any kind of blockchain is, I'm going to give it to you in one sentence here. It's the removal of middlemen from transactions. If you understand nothing else about this technology, at its very core, that's what it does. But most people, now it takes some setup, to go and explain that concept a little bit more, but most people don't recognize that we have middlemen. We have third parties or fourth parties or fifth parties between all of our transactions. So if I were to go to send Susie $10 over the internet right now, it wouldn't, people think that, oh, if I'm sending a PayPal payment to Susie, that I'm sending $10 directly to her and it's peer to peer. It's not. There's actually at least five parties involved in that transaction. There's my bank who I actually have to ask permission from to send my own money. Yes, it's my money, but I have to ask my bank permission to send that money. Most of the time they say yes, so it's not a problem. But if I try to ask them on Sunday night when the banks are closed, they're going to say no, right? I have, to, yeah. I have to ask them at the right time. I have to ask them, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But anyways, so there's my bank 
they're involved. Then there's me, then there's the payment rail. So Visa or MasterCard or whoever's sending the payment. And then there's the person's receiving bank. So Susie's receiving bank is accepting the payment. And then finally, Susie on the back end of that transaction is gonna get that. There's five parties involved in a financial transaction. And that's true for all different types of transactions we have. And so a yes. blockchain, it's just a, a computer algorithm that exists for no other reason than to send value from point A to point B. That's all it does. So there's no bias, there's no discrimination, there's no censorship or anything like that. It's just a computer algorithm that says if person A sends $10 to person B, I'm going to process that transaction. And for people that don't understand the way our monetary and financial systems work, that is an absolute game changer. It completely goes against, uh, it goes against the way that our current financial system operates with, with middlemen yeah. and, and all sorts of people involved in transactions. And not only that, it's also a threat to the middlemen because the middlemen will lose their jobs if you remove them. Now, what is blockchain? Because you also threw in blockchain in the mix. Someone is thinking, Okay, and I'll get what Bitcoin is, but what is blockchain, Brian? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, now, this is interesting because Bitcoin and blockchain were created at the exact same time. It was They're, they're kind of two different things, but they work together. Um, so the way to think of it is let's go back to the internet. You had the internet, which was the technology, and then you had email, which was the kind of the first application built on top of that technology. Now, the equivalent of that would be blockchain is the technology and Bitcoin was the first application built on top of that. So where the internet had email blockchain has Bitcoin. Um, and so, yeah, the first thing that people use blockchain for was sending these things called Bitcoin around to one another. And, uh, that was the, the transfer of value in the same way that it, when the internet started, and the ability to send an email, it was like this crazy concept. Wow, I can send a letter, I can type something out and send it through the, I, it was the first time ever you didn't have to send a physical letter. That was mind blowing for people. Now, in the same way, we can actually send digital value. And what people don't understand is because the internet has kind of made this a little tricky in modern culture. We think we have digital payments because we can send a Zelle payment or a PayNow payment or a PayPal payment. We have all sorts of digital ways to send money. All those are, are IOUs. We're sending digital IOUs. So as users, it kind of feels like we're sending money, but just so you know, the, the CEO of PayPal, Dan Schulman, about three years ago made this, this statement. He said, our applications are great consumer facing applications. People love using our applications, but just so you know, on the back end, we're still using 1970s technology. When they're making settlements and payments, they're having to take trucks full of cash <laughs> to settle payments. I mean, they're still working with physical currency. So yes, they're sending IOUs all over the place. So it works fairly efficiently, but they're not actually settling digitally. There's two things in transactions. When you go to the, the store and you swipe your credit card, what you see is an approval. Most people think that that money, that was a payment. That wasn't, that was an approval. That was a digital IOU from your bank saying, I have enough money to make this transaction. But that business isn't getting paid for 48 to 96 hours. That's called a settlement. When the money hits that, 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 that business's account, that's when that business is actually getting paid. Bitcoin changes that. When you send money in Bitcoin, it's happening. It's called cash finality. As soon as you send the payment, you've made the payment and it's final forever. 
Right now, we have digital IOUs on top of physical currency. So there's this latency period. It means people have to wait for settlements. With Bitcoin, you don't have to wait for settlements. So Bitcoin is orders of magnitude faster than traditional payment rails. Um, and now we as consumers don't always see that, but the back end, the enterprises, the companies that run payments, they know full well that Bitcoin is a far superior service. Whew. Now, why should anyone invest into Bitcoin? What is so special about Bitcoin? Maybe if I should ask that, what is so special about Bitcoin? What is so special about um, the blockchain? What makes these things to be separated from the rest? Brian? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And now it's important to understand because there's about 20,000 different cryptocurrencies in the world. So yes. what I'm saying about Bitcoin does not necessarily apply to all the other cryptocurrencies. We can get into kind of how you differentiate those as well. But right now, I'm just talking about Bitcoin. What, when, when I had the light bulb moment for Bitcoin go off for me, when, I, when it finally clicked and made sense for me, was I heard a gentleman, his name was Andreas Antonopoulos. He was on a podcast. And he was talking about the, the invention of Bitcoin was the first time in history and the first time in computer science that we could take something digital and make it scarce. And so I want that to set in for your, for your audience here, because think about this. You could never have digital currencies if you could just copy and paste them, right? If you go into a, a word document and you type in, you know, a sentence, the MDNT, you know, MDN TV is the best show of all time. I can copy and paste that endlessly, right? Yes. I can just copy and paste it over and over and over. I can take anything digital and replicate it. Yes. Now, now think about this with music. When music went from physical CDs and cassettes and records, and it went to MP3 formats, what happened in the early 2000s? The music industry changed, right? Because all of a sudden people could put digital music on these sharing websites like Napster and LimeWire and these, these digital music sharing services. That completely changed the paradigm of the music industry. Music, because you could just copy and paste it endlessly and download it for free, it took almost all of the monetary value out of of digital me or out of music because it went digital, right? The music industry wasn't ready for that. But what Bitcoin and blockchain, the invention of that represented was the first time that you could take digital things and put a cap on them. The first time you could take digital things and not replicate them endlessly. That's a really, really big deal because we live in a digital age. So digital money couldn't exist before Bitcoin because there was no way to make it scarce. Bitcoin is the first ever scarce digital asset in the history of the world. Woo. Indeed. Now, we are familiar with evangelism. But Bitcoin evangelism? What's that all about? Take us through, Brian. Well, I'm a Christian, so I actually believe that Bitcoin evangelism is <laughs> less important than Christian evangelism. Um, but I still think at the same time, it's talking about a new way of doing things, right? Yes. So in Christian evangelism, we had the Old Testament, right? And it was about the law, and that's how you, you came to, to, to be obedient to God, was obeying the Ten Commandments and those types of things. But when Jesus came along, he said he was the fulfillment of the law. And so the <laughs> oh, evangelism was, was, was yeah. talking about, here's a new... Go ahead, go ahead. I, I'm sorry to chime in and interrupt. You are off the charts. Hi. All right, <laughs> go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that they, that it goes hand in hand. Actually, I, I have a, a few references to Jesus throughout my book. Um, 
but yeah, like Jesus says, there's a new way of doing things. You come, the way you come to God isn't through sacrificing animals. It's, now Jesus was the sacrifice, but now there's a new, you know, it's a grace, it's a grace based uh, form of, of, of encountering God. Now I'm not saying Bitcoin is as important as that, but what I'm talking about, it's a new way of doing things yes. in the history of the world, all throughout the history of the world, we've had currencies that have been given to us by our government. Our government has always been the thing that has told us how we can transact, when we can transact, what we can use to transact. Bitcoin is the first ever money that isn't beholden to a national government or a kingdom or a dictator or anything like that. It's literally non, it's, it's non uh, national. There's no national affiliation to it. It's, it's the first worldwide currency that we've ever had. It, everybody has equal access to it. There's no CEO of Bitcoin. There's nobody in charge of it. It's truly decentralized. It's truly democratic in the way that it operates. And so that's a completely different model than every other monetary model we've had in history. And our monetary models are very skewed. And that's, like I said, I referenced, you know, Jesus a few times throughout the book. One of the times, or basically the only time we saw Jesus exhibit righteous anger in, in the New Testament was when was when he threw over the money changing tables in the temple, right? Yes. The, the Bible is clear that God he detests uh, corrupt financial systems when people yes. are taking advantage, and that's why Jesus threw over the money changing tables. the The way that that scheme worked was there was these people that sat out in front of the temple, and they would say, "Okay, if you want to come into the temple and offer your sacrifice, you need to pay with the Jewish shekel. It was a certain mm. type of coin that you had to pay with." Wow. If you use the Roman coin, Roman coins weren't allowed to be used in the temple because they had the picture of a pagan emperor on them. So any other coin besides the Jewish shekel, you you couldn't use to pay for your temple sacrifice. So when people came to the temple, the, the money changers would say, okay, even though one Roman coin is supposed to be equal to one Jewish shekel, well, you can't get into the temple and get forgiveness for your sins unless I change this money for you. So guess what? I'm going to set a new rate. You have to pay me 10 Roman coins for one Jewish shekel. And so they were, they were running a total scam on the people. They were running a scam on God's people. They were just trying to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And so they were, they were this total corrupt thing. And Jesus saw that. And so he fashions a whip and drives them out of the temple. And he says that I'm, God was angry with corrupt financial systems. And if you study our current fiat systems, almost every government around the world, has a very corrupt central banking model yes. and it, it disenfranchises it and it disfavors some people while it highly favors other people. Um, and I, I'm a very conservative, I'm very politically conservative in a lot, in a lot of regards, but in, in terms of money, I think this is one of the things where politically conservative and politically progressive people can unite because our monetary system is undoubtedly unfair to many people around the world. Um, and so Bitcoin offers a chance to have a truly equal playing field when it comes to money. Oof. Someone wants to get started tomorrow investing in Bitcoin. Where do they start? Where do they go? There are so many scams. Is there, is there a place you can direct them to, Brian? Yeah. So I would start with a regulated exchange. Now, most of Bitcoin, the cool thing is that you don't have to go through regulated exchanges. Like if I want to transact with you, I don't have to ask for a middleman's permission, but in terms of getting started with it, I would suggest just going to a website like Binance or, uh, or Coinbase or one of these big popular exchanges. And they're going to ask for your information. You type in your information, you 
you link up your bank account and don't start with that large amount of money. Sometimes people get excited about Bitcoin and they think, Oh wow, this is the future. And so I'm going to invest everything I have in it. That's great. I do think it's the future, but I don't think that that's a wise way to invest. Start by buying $10 worth of Bitcoin, just a small amount, $5 of the Bitcoin, a dollar worth of Bitcoin, buy something that isn't a significant amount of money to you. And then don't touch it for 30 days. Now that you have some skin in the game, you're going to start to pay attention to it a little bit more. You're going to maybe start to read some more articles or listen to more great podcasts like this, or hopefully buy my book. I mean, you can buy my book and learn a little bit more about it. That's great. Um, but you just ease into it and say, you're convinced after 30 days, you know what? Hey, I do. I want to continue to invest in this space. Well, what you can do is do something called dollar cost averaging. It's the best way to invest because sometimes people say, I have $5,000 to invest. I'm going to put all of it into Bitcoin. That's great, but that's a terrible way to invest. What you should do is if you have some, you know, say for example, $5,000 to invest, take a hundred dollars per month and buy on the same day every month, you just automatically buy Bitcoin a hundred dollars worth. And then eventually over time, you'll have invested $5,000 or a thousand dollars or $500, whatever amount you want to invest, but you do it in increments because sometimes you're going to buy when the market's high. Sometimes you're going to buy when the market's low, but the great thing is you get this nice average price over time. And here's a cool statistic. Nobody that's bought and held Bitcoin for four years or more has ever lost money. Now that's not a guarantee. That's just historically what's happened because every four years, the new supply of Bitcoin, it goes down. So where, where governments print more and more currency, Bitcoin over time has written into its programming that the new supply of currency goes down and down and down. So it's actually limiting in supply. So as demand goes up, the supply goes down and that happens every four years. So people that can be a long-term investor with small amounts of money have a really powerful way to make every dollar they invest go up exponentially. So here's another example too. In 2017, when there was, there was a big bull run in the year of 2017, hmm. Bitcoin started at $900 per Bitcoin at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, it was $19,000. So it went up about 20 times in that year. Imagine if you invest just $10 a month, $20 a month over the next five years. If every dollar you put in turns into $20 and you do that every month from here on out, that's going to be significant life-changing money. It wasn't very risky for you as an investment, right? Figure out a money, an amount of money that you can afford to not to go without, right? And then just allow that money to grow over time because you're riding this wave of innovation and adoption that's happening around the world. Only about 1% of the world has adopted Bitcoin at this point. It's gotten to $20,000 per coin by 1% of the world adopting it. What happens when 70% of the world adopts it? What happens when 90% of the world adopts it? What happens to your investment then? They go crazy, right? So you it can start with small amounts of money and just dollar cost average over time. In all labor, there's profit, ladies and gentlemen. The name of Brian's book is Bitcoin Evangelism. It's available on Amazon. Meet us in the comments. The links are in the description. We'll be right back. MDN TV, the podcast. Be abreast with now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non-secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcasts. The undeniable the choice. The undeniable choice indeed is still Brian the Mint, Bitcoin evangelist. 
Whew. The reason I say in all labor there's profit is because he says you can start with $10, 100 You can start at any level. Now, Brian, coming back to you, what price do you think Bitcoin will get to? Well, here's a crazy thing. So, um, it, there's, there's the dollar based on today's value, right? We know about inflation. So every year, so everybody, most people around the world denominate Bitcoin in terms of us dollars. So we'll talk about it in, in terms of us dollars. Um, the us dollar, like many currencies around the world is losing eight to nine to 10% of its value every year. Um, yes. experts actually believe it's, it's a lot more than that. I, I believe that, that inflation is actually closer to 15 to 16%. Um, so the, the U S dollar is losing value over time. Um, and I make a case in my book and it's based on historical precedent that all fiat currencies inevitably have a hyperinflate or have a inflation. Then eventually they have a hyperinflation and then they go bust. So to say that Bitcoin is going to be worth a million dollars someday, it's like, am I talking about the inflated value of Bitcoin? Because the U S dollar has become, you know, maybe a million dollars only buys you, you know, a, a car in, you know, <laughs> yes. 10 years from now or 20 years from now. So a million dollars wouldn't sound, it would sound great right now, but it, you know, in terms of that. So I actually think that there's no upper limit for Bitcoin in terms of U S dollar value. It really depends how much the U S dollar diminishes. But if I were to give an assessment on today, so say the U S dollar keeps its value from here on out, a $1 million Bitcoin is a very rational number to get to because of the supply and demand economics of Bitcoin. Um, and so Bitcoin has a bunch of different use cases. One of the most popular use cases is that people treat Bitcoin as digital gold. Like I said earlier, uh, Bitcoin is scarce. Uh, gold is, is very valuable because it's scarce. Now there's some industrial use for gold, right? People can use it in electronics and things like that, but that's only about 15% of gold's value comes from industrial use. Most of gold's value comes from people just wanting to preserve their wealth. Well, Bitcoin is actually a better form of gold because with gold, if the price of it goes up, then miners, the people that, that mine gold can actually, they're more incentivized to extract more gold out of the ground. And so they put more gold on the market. And so because there's more supply of gold now, it's gonna keep a cap on the price. With Bitcoin, the price could go up to $100,000 per coin tomorrow. Bitcoin miners can't mine any more Bitcoin any faster. There's only a certain amount of Bitcoin that comes out every day, every year, um, every decade, that sort of thing. It's programmatic. Bitcoin has a consistent amount that comes out every 10 minutes and you can't change that. So uh, if the price of Bitcoin goes up, you can't necessarily have an increased supply of Bitcoin. Um, and so that's one of the things that it, it, gold has an, a, 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 an $11 trillion market cap. That's a huge number, right? All the gold yeah. around the world is worth about $11 trillion. If you look at any, like gold is the analog technology, right? Gold is the physical technology. Bitcoin's the digital technology. If you look at any analog technology in history, when it gets surpassed with a digital version of it, the digital version is usually worth many times more than the analog version. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, think back to a time when you had paper maps, right? Paper maps still exist today, but I, you know, when I was a kid, you, you when you were going to go on a trip or something like that, we'd pull out a paper map and we'd plot our course and we would, you know, figure out, but we would use a paper map maybe once a year, three times a year, something like that. Now maps, digital maps, are included in all of our devices. They're included in our cars. They're included in everything. Think about how much value in the economy 
digital maps have unlocked, not just for you and I for getting, you know, for getting direction somewhere, but companies like Amazon or the postal service or, or any kind of mail carrier or freight carriers, their entire industries are based off of digital maps and digital logistics or companies like Uber or ride sharing apps like Lyft. Those companies only exist because of digital maps. So the value of digital maps to the economy versus paper maps, paper maps in their best year ever, they did about $40 million in sales of paper maps. Digital maps account for several trillion dollars worth of commerce every single year because it's not that people only had $40 million worth of demand for seeking navigation. People thought, you know, back in the day, Oh wow. The market for people wanting to, you know, navigate is only $40 million. Well, no, that's, that's the market cap for how much people had for paper maps. The desire for navigation, we unlocked a much higher amount because once we had the technology to unlock more, uh, more navigation, Digital maps gave us better navigation, more efficient, and it was just plugged into every every component of life. Digital money is going to do the same thing. If gold is at eleven trillion dollar market cap, Bitcoin could easily be at a thirty, forty, or fifty trillion dollar market cap for store of value because it functions more efficiently than gold. So if the whole market cap market cap means all of the Bitcoin, you know, added up together, um, so you can very easily get to a one million dollar Bitcoin. Um, by just having, you know, a, a two or three times uh, increase on the value of gold from Bitcoin. And now that sounds crazy, but there was a time early on in Bitcoin. And I remember this very clearly because the one gold coin, uh, a one ounce gold coin cost $1,800. And I remember when Bitcoin was like a hundred dollars, everybody said, Bitcoin will never be as valuable as a gold coin. And here we are today one Bitcoin is worth $20,000 and a gold coin <laughs> yeah. is still worth $1,800. That was seen, that was seen as mind boggling. No, you sounded like a crazy person. If you ever said a Bitcoin was going to be as valuable as a gold coin. And now it's, it's worth, you know, 10 times or 11 times more than a gold coin. Whew. Unbelievable, but true. Now the markets have been bearish for quite some time. Does that have any bearing at all to one who wants to invest in Bitcoin, Brian? Yeah, the best time to get involved is uh, is when the markets are low. It's really easy to buy things when they're at the top. It's emotionally easy to do that. Yeah. But people that that invest with emotions are are not good <laughs> investors. They're speculators. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the people that lose money, sadly. And it's very emotionally difficult to buy right now. It's tough to buy when the markets are down. <laughs> but that's called discipline, right? Yes. This is the time to do it. There's a famous saying. It says, you buy when there's blood in the streets, especially if it's your own. And it's Woo! like this concept of when you are hurting and the market's hurting, it's good to keep a little cash on the sideline so you can continue to, so you can continue to invest. And that goes back to my whole point about dollar cost averaging. If, if you had $5,000 to invest and you invested all of that when Bitcoin was $70,000 per coin, you would have no money left to invest right now. But if you were investing only $100 a month, guess what? You're looking at the prices right now like, wow, Bitcoin's on sale. Cryptocurrencies are on sale right now because the market's down and I still have money to buy. Um, it's like going to a, a sale at the store and having cash in your pocket as opposed to going, how, how, how much of a bummer is that when we go to the store and everything's 40% off, but we don't have any money on us. It's, it's like we're missing out. And it's certainly 
True. Now, it's also true that you actually make money when you buy. Buy low. Buy now. Take out the, in, the emotions out of it. What about inflation? Brian, is mm-hmm. it a big problem as people say it is? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Big, so a big portion of my book is devoted to talking about our financial systems and a big part of that is inflation and how inflation really works. Most people, we hear it uh, a lot today, but most people don't really understand exactly what inflation does and how much of a certain a certainty inflation is. A lot of governments are talking about how they're trying to tamp down inflation. They're trying to reduce inflation. Guess what? That's just a narrative. Governments love inflation. And let me explain why. They say they don't because they, they want to get votes and all that kind of stuff. But this is a historical thing. 100% of the time, governments that can take on, they can, you know, they have the, the legal ability to take on debt and they also print their own currency. 100% of the time, those currencies go hyperinflationary and they bust. The reason being is because as a politician, you're not really incentivized to cut budgets. It's just nobody likes to cut budgets. Uh, politicians get voted in and continue to get voted in because of big government spending. They like to continue to spend. Well, guess what? you don't have to even tax your citizens to do that. You can print more currency in order to pay for your debts. So you get to not only do things that people like, like, Hey, I'm going to spend more money and pump money into the economy. So people feel wealthy and people have social safety nets and all those kind of things. But we're also going to print the same, the currency as well. So right now in the United States, we have a $30 trillion national debt, almost $31 trillion national debt. Um, think about it like this. Our, our debt, is fixed. The interest rate on our debt is fixed. So if the government makes our currency less and less valuable, that means our debt becomes easier and easier to pay back. Now, uh, let's think of it like this. Imagine you have a mortgage on a house and you have a hundred thousand dollar mortgage on your house and you make a thousand dollars per month or your payment is a thousand dollars per month. Well, if you're making $5,000 a month and you have a $1,000 a month payment, that's a significant amount of your money that's going towards your, your mortgage payment. But if you live in an economy where your wages are going up because inflation's going up and your debt stays the same because your, your, your mortgage is always going to be a thousand dollars per month. But now because of inflation, you're actually making $50,000 a month. You're not really making more money, but inflation's gone up. So your employer has to pay you more money and you've had hyperinflation. Now you make $50,000 a month. A thousand dollar a month mortgage is now really easy for you to pay because your debt didn't change. The amount of money you make in a month changed. That's what fiat currencies allow governments to do. They allow governments to pay themselves more money because they can create more money, but their debt payments become much, much easier to pay. So it's a certainty that governments will always push towards inflation because it, it allows them to spend big and then continue to pay that debt at an easier and easier pace. Now, folks, did you hear? Governments love inflation. Make that louder. Make it louder, please. Brian, how can our listeners and viewers find out more about you? How do we continue this conversation after this? I would love to come back anytime I can. You're, you're, you're so much fun to talk about this stuff with. And I appreciate your Thank audience. You. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it, the easiest way to contact me is through Twitter or Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at Brian.Dement, D-E-M-I-N-T. 
uh, on Twitter, I'm at Brian V T H E mint M I N T. And my books on Amazon. If you just type in Bitcoin evangelism, it'll pop up. It's uh, it's hit the Amazon bestsellers list in the inflation category. It's been as high as number seven. Um, so it's, it's actually been such a blessing to be able to see that it's uh, it's been part of the conversation in this hot topic like inflation right now. My voice and my book has been able to kind of help, uh, you know, be one of the voices in that conversation. So yeah, Amazon's a great place to get it. And here's one of the cool things um, that I'll tell your readers right now or your listeners. My book, Bitcoin Evangelism, is one of the first books ever. I think it might be the first book ever to have a Bitcoin wallet hidden inside of it. So if you know much about Bitcoin, you can actually create, you can create a Bitcoin wallet with 12 seed phrase words. So basically you have like a secret passphrase. I've hidden that passphrase throughout the book and this Bitcoin wallet has about $700 worth of Bitcoin in it. So as you're reading through the book, you can uh, find those words. Nobody's found all 12 of them yet. You need to find all 12 words and then you can open your own Bitcoin wallet. You type in those 12 words and that Bitcoin, you'll basically steal my Bitcoin. <laughs> and so you, you take my Bitcoin and then you get to spend it. So that's one of the fun things about this book. Wow, talk about great timing. Or should I say you were prophetic when you wrote uh, Bitcoin evangelism? Brian, if I can pull that out before we go. Sorry, it froze up there. Can you say that one more time? Right. I'm saying, talk about great timing. Or were you oh, just yes. prophetic when you wrote Bitcoin evangelism? If I can just pull that last one. Brian? Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think it was prophetic. I think uh, I've been <laughs> I've been pitching to organizations for since 2014. I've been talking about how inflation's coming and, and organizations need to get get in line and get ready for this. Because like I said, if you study history, if you study fiat systems, this is the cycle that happens all the time. So I, I think it's prophetic in the sense I really do feel like this is uh, something that God put on my heart to, yes, to share with yes. people because I think it's important. But I don't think that uh, it's anything nifty that I did. I think that I, I was able to find the right books and the right uh, historical cases that make this case. And I was able to, I was fortunate enough to start thinking about these things years ago. Um, and like you said, you know, we're right, we're right at the forefront of it right now. But the hope is that here's the optimistic thing. These hyperinflation, all these things are really bad for societies, but yes. Bitcoin is like a lifeboat. These, these scarce digital assets will provide people with an ability to preserve their wealth through these times over the long term because they're scarce. What's the problem with fiat currencies? There's no limit to them. Governments can make as much of it as they want. Bitcoin is the exact opposite of that. Yes. It, you can only have a certain amount of it. So it's, it's, it's in the tenants, in the basic fundamentals of Bitcoin, you can see that it's the solution for these problems. And the fact that you don't need no middleman, it's mm -hmm. a blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it changes the way the world operates and it makes a much more balanced playing field. Yes, thank you so much, uh, Brian, for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian DeMint, the author of Bitcoin Evangelist, Evangelism. Connect, 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 run, get the book, read the book, actually read it and apply because it makes no sense buying books. We don't read, read, apply. Now that is wisdom to all our listeners and our viewers around the world. Well done. 
MDN Talk Radio. The mic swings to you. At MDN Talk Radio, the conversation is upbeat with life-enhancing chats moderated by personalities that matter. Exclusive conversations to keep our radio community interactive is with you now. Log on from the comfort of your couch or take us along in your palm as you go. Hear us. The undeniable choice.